God, we said some pretty awesome things to get me excited about being here in this way and to say that it is one and it is done. So God, as we gather, we gather not to to earn something from you, God. We gather in response to something that has already been done. So God, the pressure's off this morning. And we gather in this place, we get to just wallow in and enjoy your grace and experience the joy of listening to your holy word, singing songs to you and and participating in the Lord's Supper together a bit later. And God, we just are thankful for it. God, we could be a lot of other places this morning and doing a lot of other things. And God, I just am thankful for the opportunity to gather in this way with these people that I love so deeply. And I pray in Jesus' name that as, as we open your word together, God, that something would happen in our hearts. And God, that that something would compel us to go from this place as people who have really experienced the peace of life with Jesus Christ. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. All right, you may be seated. Get out your Bible if you have one. Glad you're here. I know we have some guests. My name is Russell. I'm the lead pastor of Neartown Church, and I love the people of this church. I love you. We even have a couple of people here we've met this summer through our Saturday event, Summer Fun Squad. Uh, we have some new people, and, uh, and it's just a lot of fun. Even you old people, you're fun too, and so I'm glad you're here. Okay, so, so this, this week, I'm starting a new series, and the name of the series is, What's Up With That? So look to your neighbor and say, What's Up With That? Very good. So this series is going to cover questions that people commonly have when they think about participating in a church or a part of a church related to churchy type things. And so we're going to cover a whole bunch of things. And, uh, and so uh, today we're going to talk a bit about one that's so important that you might have questions about why we, um, why we even consider or, or carry or read draw your attention to the Bible. And so I hope you have a Bible. If you have a Bible, just lift it up, lift it above your head. And if you don't have one, you can participate by taking your phone because there's a Bible on there somewhere on your phone. So, so the Bible is important to us. Listen to this. Something that has gotten a lot of attention lately are these unmanned aerial vehicles, also called drones. Raise your hand if you've heard anything about drones. I don't know if you've heard about this, but this technology has gained popularity recently when Amazon announced that they would be delivering packages by drone very soon. And apparently, there's some activity in Congress that's recently passed legislation that will lead to the more frequent and more affordable use of drones by all kinds of people. For instance, farmers can use these drones. They use drones to do aerial surveys of crops so that they can more easily see how their plants are growing. Police departments can use drones. They're buying drones and using them for surveillance and related activity. Uh, Drones, maybe the thing that I'm most excited about, is, is maybe going to be used in the delivery of pizza. Have you heard about this? Domino's Pizza is going to be using drones to deliver a hot, fresh pie to your front doorstep. I mean, what an exciting event that would be. Well, what makes the technology so interesting and, frankly, an issue of debate 
is that by these unmanned aerial vehicles, we can more easily see that which is difficult and sometimes impossible to see without it. So with the use of drones, a person has an aerial view, a perspective that others do not get. They get access to unique information. Now, the reason I tell you about these drones is because I want this image to be in your mind as I talk to you today about the Bible. Imagine if you had something like a drone for your life. Its value goes far beyond the common use of drones to take aerial pictures or deliver packages. But it, like a drone, makes it possible for you to see things about your life that you could not see without it. The people that have this tool are able to see or get a view of, a perspective of things in their life that other people who do not have this tool or do not know how to use this tool do not have access to. It's one way to think about the Bible. The Bible has everything that we need to help us see that which we could not otherwise see so that we can live the kind of life that God promises. Do you hear that? The Bible has everything that we need to help us see that which we could not otherwise see so that we can live the kind of life that God Promises. The Bible is important in the life of our church. And you might wonder, well, what's up with that? It's very important. And for me to even use the words, it's important, that's grossly understated. Because what I want you to understand is that we stake the truth of Christianity on the words of these pages. We use the Bible every week. We read it. We teach it. This is our primary tool in helping you to connect with God. The written word, the Bible, reveals the living word, Jesus. And when you see Jesus, you see God. Now, no doubt that most of you have at least one Bible in your home. Surveys say that 88% of homes have at least one Bible. But what the Barna Group recently revealed also in their research is only 30% of the people that have a Bible read it once a week. And that would include people who read it uh, incorrectly or read it as a part of a church service. Well, the Bible is so important. And I, I want to talk for a minute about why we believe the Bible is important and hopefully answer a question that you might have about what's up with that. Well, we believe that the Bible is without error in its original form. It's completely what God inspired people to write so that we have everything we need for life and godliness. The passage that Katie read in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3, verses 14 through 17 are so poignant. Paul writes to Timothy, and Timothy is his protege. He's pastoring in Ephesus, which is a church that Paul helped plant, and what Paul is doing here in his second letter to Timothy is he's writing him a personal, friendly letter. In fact, most scholars believe that this is Paul's final writing. So Timothy's pastoring this church, and he's dealing with issues, as is the case for everyone that leads in a church. You deal with issues. And there are some in the church that are falling away, and Paul warns Timothy that this is going to happen. There will be some people in the church, in and around the church, that will chase after teachings that are not grounded in the Bible. So Paul is charging Timothy, and he says these words, 
continue in what you have learned and firmly believe. And the way to do this, according to Paul, out of this passage is to continue in the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is why the Bible is so important. We believe that the Bible, inspired by God, written by real people just like you and me, contains the words that will make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is why the Bible is so important. So the implication by what Paul is telling Timothy is that if we neglect the scriptures, we will not continue in the faith. Or let's be more positive than that. If we continue in the scriptures, we will continue in the faith. I said it before and I'll say it again. I have nothing really to offer you outside of what is in here. If I or any other person that stands in a position like mine were to stand up and step away from the Bible and begin to tell you things that are not found in the Bible, that's worthless, really, ultimately. It's not going to help make you wise for salvation or give you the kind of life that God intends for you. The Bible is so important. Paul tells Timothy that the reason that the Bible is useful and can make you wise for salvation is that all scripture is breathed out by God. Say those words, breathed out by God. This is so important. The word of God is breathed out by God. There's a theological word you may have heard. It's called inspiration. Well, inspiration means that the human writers were inspired by God and moved by the Holy Spirit to record accurately what God wanted them to preserve. The Bible was written by real people living in real places, recording real historical events, and also communicating God's real truths. So, three questions that are common as we think about the Bible. How do we get the Bible? What's the message of the Bible? And how should we use the Bible today? Well, and forgive me for those of you that are more astute in these kinds of things. Some of this will be reviewed, but we have quite a number of people that are new to the church. The Bible that we revere as inspired by God is a collection of 66 books. There are different types of genres in the Bible, so different types of writings in the Bible. For example, there, the majority of the Bible is what's called a historical narrative. So when you think narrative, you think story, but it's a unique kind of narrative. It's called a historical narrative. Think of the book of Genesis or Exodus, maybe Kings, Ezra, or Nehemiah. There's also a genre called wisdom. Have you heard of the book of Proverbs or Ecclesiastes? There are songs in the Bible. In fact, the word psalms, P-S-A-L-M-S, means songs. Or there's a song that's quite frankly at least PG-13, maybe even rated R, called the Song of Solomon. Read that late at night with your spouse. It's lots of fun. There are epistles. You know what an epistle is? There's letters in the Bible, like Romans or Ephesians or 2 Timothy, the passage that I just read. It's really interesting, the collection of these 66 books, and there's different types of genres. There's two major divisions in the Bible, the Old Testament and the, this is a gimme. Very good, you all are so smart. So most of the stories of the Old Testament were first passed down orally. And we hear that and we think, well, how in the world can we make sure that they're true? Well, something that you should know about that time is that there was, in fact, more seriousness 
placed on the passing on of oral stories than even written stories or recorded stories, however they did it. Some of the data found in the Old Testament was actually written down and later included with the stories when the actual books were written. And the Old Testament, in the form we have it, was accepted as authoritative, inspired by God, by Jewish people by the time Jesus walked on the earth. So the authenticity and the authority of the Old Testament was accepted for the most part by the time Jesus walked on the earth. Well, the New Testament is a collection of 27 types of books, and it was formally accepted about 400 A.D. A group of Christian leaders got together, and they realized that there were some of the letters that were circulating that were unique, inspired by God, and so they wanted to formalize that. Now, something that you may know about the Bible, maybe even you're skeptical as to the authority of the Bible. I mean, you see its value being moral, but maybe nothing beyond that. Well, you should know that there are other letters written. In fact, sometimes people will say the Bible's not unique because some authoritarian dictator chose these and left out others, but others tell a story that's quite different than what's in the Bible. And so you may think, that the books that are in the Bible are randomly selected, but that's not true at all. In fact, when those Christian leaders got together to decide what books would be in the Bible, they, they took it very seriously, as you would imagine. I mean, they were basically identifying what letters that were circulating were the letters that were to be in the canon, the standard, the rule set up by God to reveal to people the message that he wanted revealed. Four categories quickly, four four things that they did. They had to see that the letter was of apostolic origin, somebody that actually walked with Jesus or somebody that was a first-generation apostle of someone who walked with Jesus, a close companion of someone who walked with Jesus. So they had to make sure that what was written was actually what was intended or what actually happened. Uh, they, They identified letters that were accepted universally. So if a letter was popular in one region but not in another, then they would conclude that that was not inspired by God because God in his sovereignty didn't make sure that all these churches had it. Uh, If the letter was used in some churches and not in other churches, they would not accept it. So they made sure that the letters that they identified as being inspired by God were read publicly along with the Old Testament uh, in a variety of gatherings all over the Mediterranean world. They had to make sure in the letters that they selected that there was a consistent message. So they if they had a group of letters that said one thing, but yet this obscure outside kind of letter said something else, uh, they would recognize it as maybe a letter, but not as a letter inspired by God. So that we believe that the 66 books that make up this Bible are given to us by God, and it contains everything we need for life and godliness. That's 2 Peter chapter uh, 1, verses 3 and 4. Well, you say, Okay, great. You believe the Bible's inspired. What is the message of the Bible? I did a little research and I uh, found a few trusted scholars who summarized the message of the Bible in this way. Mark Dever, who's a pastor and a respected theologian in Washington, D.C., says it this way. The message of the Bible is this. God has made promises to bring his people to himself and he's fulfilling all them through Jesus Christ. Another scholar, respected pastor, Kevin DeYoung, says the message of the Bible is this. A holy God sends his righteous son to die for unrighteous sinners so that we can be holy and live happily with God forever. 
you say, that's too complicated. Well, uh, one of the professors at Covenant Theological Seminary, Michael D. Williams, says it like this. God made it. We broke it. Jesus fixes it. That's the message of the Bible. And then my favorite scholar, a guy by the name of Russell Cravens, summarizes the Bible like this. In Jesus Christ, God restores. This is the message of the Bible. The message of this book is that in Jesus Christ, God restores. God is restoring things. He's restoring, restoring people to himself, people to one another. He's bringing restoration to broken systems in our world through Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus Christ, it won't work. But in Jesus Christ, it does work. You say, okay, we get, we get it with the, that the message of the Bible is there. Well, how should we use the Bible? Well, Paul tells us right there to continue in it. This is my charge for you today. I want you to be people who continue in the scriptures. Continue in the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, not everybody in here is a Christ follower, but most of you have at some point in your life heard a Bible verse read, or maybe you had a granny that quoted to you popular passages like John 3.16, uh, or maybe you have heard on the radio, or maybe you were watching a sporting event and you saw somebody with a big sign holding up and you saw a Bible passage. So what each of you have to do is you ask the question, well, how should we use the Bible today, is to think about where you are and then continue in it. Not all of you are going to be Bible scholars that are quoted by preachers on Sunday morning. Some of you certainly could be. But all of us must take steps in getting in the Bible. There's a passage in the Old Testament where it says the prophet, so wanting to to consume the word of God, it says he literally ate the scripture, which is weird. I'm not suggesting you eat your Bible. But it gives us a good picture. We want you to be the kind of people who eat this book. What are we going to do today? Well, I, as a preacher, will continue in careful study of it. And after much prayer, I'll explain it to you so that you will believe deeply the message it gives. And, you know, in the Bible, there are parts of it that are hard to hear. There are parts of it. There's things that the Bible says that, frankly, if it doesn't work with somebody's worldview or system of thinking, what they'll do is reject the Bible altogether. And the Bible has a message that meets everybody where they are. The message that in Jesus Christ, God restores is relevant to everybody all over the world, from the rich to the poor, every ethnicity, every problem you have. And I, as a minister of the gospel and as a preacher of this book, recognize that the Bible says that I, as a teacher of God's word, will be judged more seriously by God because of how I handle it. And I want you to know that I, as your preacher, I spend hours and hours thinking and praying and considering and wrestling with the words of these pages. I have preached probably, I mean, thousands, thousands, maybe even 10,000 sermons in my life. And each time I'm arrested by how sacred an opportunity it is because what I'm doing is I'm opening this book and I'm offering to you words that could literally transform 
your life. I don't take it lightly. And even at the places where there are things that are hard to hear, I'm going to do my best to teach you those things with care and with patience. I'm going to wrap my arms around you when you struggle with it. I struggle with it along with others. And we're going to walk together and enjoy continuing the sacred scriptures. You must continue in these sacred writings. So how often do you read the Bible? Let me ask you that. You say, well, every Sunday morning when Katie reads it, I hear it. How often, how often do you read it? And this isn't like, well, you're less of a person or you're less committed to Christ. But this is a Christian practice that we must all adopt. How often do you read your Bible? You say, well, I don't ever read it. Well, let me challenge you to read it this week. Let me challenge you to read it every day this week and just see what happens. You say, well, what am I supposed to read? Well, you could pick one of a few places. You can pick the book of James if you say, I need something really practical and really accessible quickly. The book of James. Just start there, read a chapter a week. I think there's five chapters in James, and so you have two days where you forget. You say, well, I'm just feeling really like sad, or I'm feeling really down, or I'm feeling like I really want to connect with God deeply. Go to the book of Psalms and, and read the psalm of the day. So the date, go to that psalm. So today is July 27th, so today you would read Psalm chapter 27. Tomorrow you read Psalm chapter 28. And read it for the rest of the week. Do something with this book. If it is true that these are the inspired words of God, then why wouldn't we make use of it? Now, I know you're like me. You're busy. I get it. You're so busy that it's hard to find time to look at your Instagram. You're so busy that it's hard to find time to keep up with House of Cards or whatever other shows you might watch. I get it. You're busy. But can I challenge you to, at whatever point in the day, you do your best thinking and you can get quiet the easiest to open up your Bible and read it and just see what happens. Continue in these sacred writings. We believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God. And this is what's up with that. Imagine that you had your very own unmanned aerial vehicle. Would you use it? I suspect that if I were to able to purchase you, and by the way, you can go right now and purchase your own drone, which sounds kind of cool. You would... You would be very interested in it at first. You would use it. And if it gave you information, you would be interested in that information. You could spy on your neighbors, spy on your kids. But maybe over time you would lose interest in it. Unless you knew that you needed whatever information it gave you to have the kind of life that you wanted to live. Let us be the kind of people that continue in God's word. Will you do that? Let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. I pray, God, that as we have talked briefly about what's up with that, that it would resonate in our hearts. It would be something that that we choose to devour. I pray that the people in this room would be reminded tomorrow morning as they get up to open up your word and read it. God, you would direct them to the book of James or maybe to one of the Psalms or maybe one of the Gospels. And God, that we would just see what happens in our community of faith as people 
begin to devour your word and continue in the sacred scriptures. Now, with your head bowed, what I want to do is give you an opportunity to respond to the message of the Bible. The Bible teaches that God did something for you that you cannot do for yourself. And that is to erase your sin so that you can be reconciled to God, so that you can be made a friend of God. Have you ever come to a place in your life You've recognized that your sin separates you from God and you wanted to ask God to forgive you of your sin and you've believed that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and raised from, was raised from the dead so that you can have new life. Right there where you are, if you want to become a child of God and have your sins forgiven, all you have to do is pray to God and say, God, forgive me for my sin. I want to choose this new life in Christ And then you have access to God through his word with prayer.